Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into Shot and Vip, a podcast brought to you by Inside Carolina this football season by Johnny T-Shirt. Co-hosting this, I'm Taylor Vipless, joined as always by my fellow Carolina football letterman and teammate, Jeff Schottmer. embarrassing uh not enough words to describe how bad it was at carter finley carolina loses 39 to 20 to nc state carolina now eight and four on the season season's kind of spiraled out of control since carolina started six and oh what was your main takeaway from from the state game well vip i'm recording this podcast in dallas and it's cold and wet and rainy and gloomy here and I promise you it's it's way worse in North Carolina right now. You know, um, t- take all the excuses you can think of and throw them out the window. You know, the, the wet turf, the cleat, cleat situation, the personal fouls on Atkinson or Chapman, you know, the field goal debacle at the end of the first half. Throw all those out the window. You know, we got out physical, out coached, out hit, out executed, out schemed. You know, we, we were playing the biggest game of the year versus an opponent that we hate, or most of us hate, and we lay the biggest egg of the year. You know, bigger egg, in my opinion, than BT, I mean, not BT, GT and Virginia, you know, in the most critical game of the year, in my opinion, we play our worst half of football, which was the first half of that game, and arguably the most important half of the season. You know, our body language was terrible. Our effort was terrible physicality was nowhere to be found execution. Like I mentioned was like the, the energy on the sideline was non-existent and it just, it, we just completely laid an egg in all phases of, of the game from, you know, offense, defense, special teams, equipment, staff, you name it, coaching. We, we just, we, we laid an egg and, you know, for, for things to go how they did the last two years, you know, the 2021 game, that nightmare at NC State, you know, to be up nine with two minutes to go and lose that game. And then following the next year, 2022, where we lose, you know, in Keenan in overtime and, you know, state players go get their flag and plant it um, on the UNC logo at midfield, you know, with our, with our guys watching it. And just with, with all that building up over the last two years, because a lot of a lot of the current players on the UNC team and and coaches coached or played in those games. And 
that should just build the build the fuel and for us to have all that you know uh, riding on the game and and this is how we perform it's it's truly like i've said this year i think the worst game we've ever had was g uh was Georgia Tech, and then I followed it up in Virginia, same thing. Like, this one is just leaps and bounds above that one. So, um, you know, I think I spent two or three minutes talking about what I thought, but that's it. it yeah, there was a ugly, few times ugly. in that game. Yeah, there was a few times in that game, actually, where it was a 19-point game. It, it felt even worse than than 19. There was a few moments where you're, like, you're you're, like, trying to talk yourself into believing where it's, like, Hey, if Drake could go down the field and score, get it to 12 in halfway through the third quarter, maybe the defense can get a stop. And, and but like even outside of those moments, from the very first drive, it just felt like Carolina was not in this game. We've said the word outplayed, outcoached so many times the, the past three years. And that's why that's why when when Carolina does lose this game, I'm not even surprised because this is just who this team has been where you have a defense that opens the game with eight straight possessions where NC State scores. It's it's going to be hard to win any type of games like that. You have a North Carolina team with a quarterback like Drake May and they don't complete a pass until the second quarter. The the playing surface looked like a slip and slide for for North Carolina but NC State they look they look faster they look more physical in, in the trenches they look faster and they look more physical in the trenches that's that's going to be another tough thing to to kind of overcome and yeah this is three straight losses now to NC State and you look at the advantages that North Carolina has the Carolina's NIL is probably a significant upgrade from whatever NC State has there and being able to get players in the transfer portal uh, recruiting. Carolina has out-recruited NC State since Mac Brown has gotten back. They have the advantage at the most important position, the quarterback position, but from the moment that game started, Carolina did not look ready to play. NC State had all the intensity and it's like a, it's a rivalry game. Like if If you can't get your guys prepared for this game, like, how, what can you prepare them for? And, and when I say, like, this is who this North Carolina team has been, you you look at the trends for, for this team, and right now I have the last five Power 5 games uh, Carolina's played the last three years, and the 2023 numbers are going to change if Carolina plays a, a Power 5 team in a bowl game. Um, and the only way they wouldn't is if they went to somewhere like the Military Bowl, when like when Carolina played Temple, and you don't get a Power 5 opponent most likely going to pay, play a power five opponent in the bowl game, but 2021, their, their last five games against a power five opponent, one in four last five power five games in 2022 against a power five opponent, one in four right now in 2023, one in four Carolina's two and four to close out this year. One of those wins was against a Duke team with a third string quarterback that they had to eke out the, the win probability didn't favor them late. And the other win is a win against an FCF's Campbell team like that that's really the frustrating part for me for for being somebody who cares about the program where this team just does not look competitive in, in a lot of these games against NC State or against the Georgia Techs where like you can't say like we have to recruit better or we need more NIL because the, those schools don't have that advantage. So it's it really comes down to your coaching and, and your players' ability to exec, execute a game plan. And I, I think part of it, too, is that the, the moment I knew Carolina was in trouble, I, I, I did think Carolina would win this game because I thought eventually the playmakers that Carolina had would, would take over. Amarin Hampton, Tez Walker, Drake May. But the moment where I kind of had this feeling like, oh, no, like something something might be off here is when in the midweek press conference, Mac Brown is saying, like, I, I don't wake up every day hating NC State. Uh, you know, I, I like their coaches. I love their players. Brennan Armstrong, I've, I've played him now at, at two different schools. I feel like I've I've grown up with him. And then you you 
compare that or you contrast that to somebody like Dave Doran, who I, I think is a pretty below average college football coach. I don't think there's anything special in what he does besides having his team ready to play in these games where they're they're taking, you know, it, it, it feels personal when, when Dave Doran's talking about this North Carolina program. When you hear Peyton Wilson talk about this North Carolina program, it feels personal. And, and the way that North Carolina approached it, when, you know, you talked about the, the 2022 game, they're getting flags planted at, at their midfield. Like, like at, that has to be personal. <laughs> and it, it, for me, it's like this North Carolina team just wildly unprepared for the environment that they were stepping into in Carter Finley from the moment they got off the bus. You, you kind of take on the identity of your head coach. He's publicly saying that, North Carolina is in a school that wins nine games uh, with any sort of regularity. Nine wins is, is good from, and it's a drastic change from the, the preseason when they're saying nine wins isn't enough. And then we kind of wonder why this team lacks a killer mindset when, when the the guy who's in charge is saying, no, nine, nine wins is, is good enough. Nine wins, uh, you, you should, you sh- fans should be happy with that or, or accept that. And it's like, how many teams would love to win eight wins? Or when Carolina was six and one, how many teams would love to have six wins at that point? Like, how many teams would love to have Drake May, Omar and Hampton, Tez Walker, Cedric Gray, Kamon Rucker, Elijah Huzzy? That that's where I think a lot of the frustration comes from for this North Carolina from this North Carolina fan base as they sit here on Monday wondering like what's happening to this Carolina football program. Um and yet, what did you kind of see from from the mindsets that that both teams had entering? Where where Dave Doran, you could you could it's palpable how much he hates the North Carolina program, and for North Carolina, it, they do have that kind of just happy to be here mentality. It was on display. You know, we displayed it through our play. You know, talk is cheap, and you know, let let the pads do the talking, and they let the pads do the talking. You know, I go back to two quotes that Dave said after the game. One was something, you know, there's nothing better than beating those baby blue boys. You know, this was when he was talking to the ESPN reporter post game. And then, you know, I saw a clip of him in the locker room talking to his own players saying, you know, a thousand some days since uh, we beat, since those pieces of shit beat us. And like that mentality is, is what you want your head coach to embody. I mean, like that's, in a rivalry game, like that's how you want your head coach to to stick up for you and, and talk about the other team, you know. Um, it, I, I can't really put put it into words, like how frustrating it is, because when you look on our sideline, it just looked like, first of all, I, like I mentioned, there was no energy, there was no juice, other than like AJ Blue, AJ Blue, who's who's brought it every day for the last, you know, however many days he's been on Earth. Um, but like the players didn't seem to have it. And that's why I think there's a disconnect going on. I think there's a disconnect, you know, amongst the coaching staff. I think there's a disconnect amongst the players and the coaching staff. And I think there's a little disconnect amongst the players. Um, and, and I know they say they've got each other's back, but they damn sure didn't play like it. And they haven't for the last couple of games. And like I said, we, we can sit up here and, and talk about, not we, but, you know, the UNC staff and the UNC players and coaches and talk about, you know, how they they're, they're this close and they want to they're, they're going to keep fighting. And but like show us, show us how you're going to do it. And um, at this point, you know, it's a little too late in the season to do that now. Um, but frustrating, obviously, because it's NC State and, and we knew the magnitude of this game. And, you know, I I infamously put out a tweet prior to the game and I was, you know, calling my shot and saying that I was guaranteeing a UNC victory because that's how confident I felt. You know, I thought at the end of the day, like NC state does have a good defense. We've, we've, we have just as quote unquote talented players as them. Uh, we, we had the X factor at quarterback. Um, you know, we have better skill positions on off skill players on offense and, um, I guess I didn't take into account, you know, the stadium, the culture, 
just their their overall NC State's grittiness and and want to versus our guys who, you know, looked very reluctant and hesitant and not confident and you know all, all the adjectives that that aren't synonymous with winning. So, yeah, I I think that that want to is the biggest thing that was probably easy to overlook going into this game because you you look at what North Carolina has and. Uh, yeah, I think there was a lot riding riding on this game with both teams eight and three. Carolina, some disappointing losses, losing at Clemson when they didn't take advantage of some opportunities they had. You lose uh, a home game against Virginia as a twenty-plus point favorite, where you win that game if you just hand the ball off to Amar and Hampton and, and and let him do his thing. You lose a game to to Georgia Tech, but there was a sense like, hey, if Carolina could just get right for this last game, win against NC State, against a ranked NC State team, then the perception of the season could be saved a bit um, to where the, the season didn't feel like a failure. And I think sitting here on Monday, the season does feel like a failure when you have when you have Drake May, when you're not playing for a conference championship, when you're 500 in in the ACC when you lose the third straight year to, to NC State it's hard to not say that this season was was really anything um but a failure and I think one of the re- one of the reasons why Carolina lost this game so decisively at Carter Finley was the play on on both lines of scrimmage what did you see from from Carolina on the offensive line and um, the defensive front. We were overmatched on both sides of the ball. I mean, you start the first first drive of the game when we take the field, and um, you know the first first run play we run, Hampton gets smoked in the backfield for minus two. Um, you know we couldn't get any push on their interior guys all night, and and majority of the time they were lining up with three down linemen and playing what's called a tough front, which is two, four eyes in the shade. And, um, you know, we have five offensive linemen against three. Obviously, there's some overhangs and linebackers that get in the mix, but just our initial push was not there. Um, and then pass protection-wise, like, there was there was times where they were rushing three, three or four and, and still getting home within, you know, two and a half, three seconds, which is, which is you know, very quick. Um, and then, and then you, I was more so disappointed on the, on the defensive line. Um, like NC State doesn't have a, you know, a great offensive line. They they haven't put up a bunch of offensive statistics all year, and we just got pushed around. Our, our footwork was awful, and I'm not just saying footwork due to the field. It was our steps were awful. Our hand placement was awful. You know, when an offensive line, like for example, Des Evans. When an offensive line zones away and he's the edge edge of the defense, you know he's taught his specific rule is to squeeze the hip of the tackle and put hands and put um, hands on shoulder pads, hands on hips, and create movement. And just watching his technique was awful all night, and that that eventually affects the linebackers behind him. Um, you know, a play that I can't get out of my head was Miles Murphy. You know, this is on the first drive of the second half, and. NC State runs an outside zone scheme on our sideline, and Miles Murphy is legitimately driven 12 to 14 yards down the field. And at one point, he does like a pirouette and like as a simple, simple zone scheme, like he can't even fight back enough to, and he's 12 yards down the field. It, it was one of the, I don't want to, you know, call out players specifically, but like that's awful, awful football. And for us to be able to sit there and watch that, like in my opinion, he shouldn't have gone back in the game after that. Like a coach got to see that on the sideline. It's like, this guy cannot help us win the game. He's not helping us win the game. And that's just kind of like, I guess the culture that we've accepted is like, we have quote unquote, no other guys to, to go in the game for him because we can't, we can't develop depth. Um, I guess went off on a little tangent there, but it, your question was tangent. talking about, was talking about, you know, the, the lines of scrimmage. And I think part of on the offensive line struggle was, first of all, Tony Gibson is an unbelievable defensive coordinator. But I think we 
we are very predictable with our offensive schemes. And Phil Longo's offense was the same way because, you know, it was not, when I was in the defensive room with Jay, Jay Bateman, we would, you know, we would go against him in spring and fall camp. And, and so we, we had a good beat on him. And I think the offenses are very similar. But what I see is when there's not a tight end attached to the core, meaning he's not, you know, in the backfield or he's not attached to the hip of the tackle or in a three-point stance next to the tackle, when he's not in the core of the offense, um, NC State had a three-man rush and usually played coverage. When we had a tight end, you know, in or around the, the offensive line or one or two or more, they were bringing the house. There was multiple times. There were probably 10-plus times that they brought, quote-unquote, cover zero blitzes where they're they're getting a beat on, on you know, our uh, – you know, they know when we're going to run the ball. So um, they were just bringing the house. So credit to them for that. But we could not get any push regardless whether there was – they were blitzing or, or rushing three. So just yeah. bad showing from everybody. Yeah, it was bad – just bad football all around. You you look at some of the, the the accountability for players making bad plays is something that I feel like we've talked about a, a good amount where it, it was one of the complaints I had last week against the Clemson game where you have um, you have a player with a, a personal foul penalty and, you know, you don't even let him come out to, to think about like, hey, you can't be putting the team in, in a position like that. And you saw the same thing happen on, on Saturday. And there's there's just no accountability for like, hey, if, if I don't do my job here or if I put the team in a bad situation, I'm just going to keep playing. So if, if I'm just going to keep playing, maybe my mistake wasn't that bad because I'm still in this game. I'm still going on to the next play. And you you look at some of these snap numbers for, for this defensive – for the defense and and the offense too, to be honest, where Carolina has played Carolina played four wide receivers, um, Tez Walker sixty three snaps, JJ Jones forty eight snaps, Ty Chapman eighteen snaps, Gavin Blackwell fourteen snaps. Um, yeah, one one of the other things that kind of came out too. Um, speaking on on that receiver depth, one one of the players that that torched Carolina, Casey. Concepcion. Uh, apparently, the Carolina evaluation from him was he was too small to play, and um, that's why they were were so he was too small to play at Carolina, and that's why they were so late in his recruitment. And by the time he even they even got in the recruitment, his he was already kind of mind made up that he was going to state. He torches Carolina. A lot of motivation for a player like that going into this game to to kind of prove to um, what he can what he can do. And Carolina has a bunch of NFL talent on, on the field. He looked like the best player the entire night. He looked faster than everybody. He it looked like NC State couldn't get him the ball enough with with the impact that he was making. What did you see from him and what Carolina couldn't really do against him? I mean, he, he did it all. He, uh, you know, he ran the ball well. He was he ran great routes. He found the end zone. He was tough. He was banged up a couple of times, kept coming back in the game. He, he was talking shit to our guys. I mean, he was the full package on Saturday night. And the, the, the frustrating thing was we couldn't ID him as a defense. Going into the game, I think he's their only playmaker. You know, they have a couple – they have a linebacker turned running back and a – you know, Armstrong is a savvy guy and is, you know, he's actually torched us a couple of years in a row now. Um, and, and they have a couple other good receivers, but they aren't, they aren't, you know, all ACC game changer. first, second, third round guys like Clemson had better skill than them. And they, they, so the thing with Robert and I's offense, it's, it's very tricky to defend, but if you just ID where the best player is on every different, on every, any given play, like, He's going to get, he got the ball like half the time, half the game. You know, they threw it to him, they ran it with him. Like, and it just looked like we were so lost out there and shocked that every time when he got the ball, you know, when he was in the backfield, they were handing it to him. When he was, when he was out wide, they were running crossing routes and and isolation routes for him. And we just couldn't pick up on that. And 
I, I don't think he's that much better than, you know, Tez Walker. And we're seeing Tez Walker in practice all the time. Like, it, it's just that was frustrating to me. Some of the other things that bother me with the with the coaching adjustments was let's go to the, you know, the first drive of the second half. You know, we're down 26 to 7, 23 to 7, whatever, whatever it was going to be, whether they got the field goal or not. You know, that's three possessions, obviously. Okay. NC State, we knew they were getting the ball. You know, we literally had a chance to change the momentum of the game, you know, with a with a defensive stop or even just holding them to a field goal instead of a touchdown. But you know what? NC State goes eight plays, 75 yards, right out of halftime and kind of puts the nail in the coffin. You know, I already talked about the stretch play that um, they ran and Miles Murphy got driven 14 yards back. But uh, the, the touchdown on that drive, um, if you look at it, they, so they had a third and nine in their red zone and they ran and we ran the exact same cover zero blitz as we did versus Duke when we let up that touchdown in the in, late in the game. And it was the same exact ex- execution. NC State blocked it different than Duke did. They they full slid the line and left two unblocked guys. Amari Gaynor was untouched. He slipped on the snap, but no one was accounting for him. The running back was blocking the edge guy and, and they left Amari Gaynor untouched. Obviously, he slipped. And the other thing we changed was, you know, we, we ended up pressing the corner there. So, you know, they did just convert it to a fade and obviously beat our cornerback on the play, I think, was Marcus Allen. But, like, the coaching adjustments that we, we didn't have to in the second half to help our guys, you know, I wouldn't put it all in the coaching set because the players, you know, they have to execute and play more physical and play tougher, et cetera. But, like, the fact that, you know, we're down that many points at halftime and we can't find a way to to get a stop at all in the third quarter. And, you know, the other thing, like we subbed, we subbed a defensive lineman in when NC State gets a gets a first down in the red zone and we're subbing in a, a defensive lineman. I think Bo Atkinson in for Des Evans. We get a – we have to – I think we burn a timeout there because they were going to get a 12-minute on the field. Um you know, and another thing that, that bothered me was Casey Concepcion. We they put him at Wildcat quarterback, and we don't even ID, we don't ID him first of all. And our linebackers or safeties are playing coverage like he's going to throw the ball. I mean, maybe he has booby miles and he can pass, but we haven't seen that yet. Like he's going to get the ball and run it. And I don't know. I'm just going off on a tangent, but there's so many things that were frustrating in that game. Obviously, yeah, it was. A, a lot of bad, not much, not much good. Um, there, there was a few times where where Carolina just did not look even close to being set before NC State was was running plays. Um, there was one in the red zone. It, I don't think it was the the one that they had to take a timeout on because I think NC State wound up getting a playoff. Um, but it was um, going right before the first half ended and you had Travis Shaw split out wide um, because NC state had like a, a, a a strange formation and Travis Shaw flexed out the garden tackle out. Yeah. Yeah. And Travis Shaw is caught not knowing to, should he go out there? Should he come back to uh, where the center and the quarterback were? He, he tries to do the thing where you just go down and, and pretend you're hurt. I think he, Scuba. I think that's what, what's what you say? Oh. <laughs> take a dive, take a dive. And yeah, I think that's what he did, but it also could have been the field playing where he just slipped under him. Uh, and it's just, that's just what Carolina looked like the entire night. Uh, I remember thinking right after the first possession that Carolina was in a, a lot of trouble and that this game could get pretty ugly pretty quickly. But let's take a quick break so I can remind everybody about Johnny T-Shirt. Our friends at Johnny T-Shirt are the ones that bring us this podcast, so support them. You could visit them online at johnnytshirt.com or visit them on Franklin Street if you're going to be in Chapel Hill. If you're going to be in Chapel Hill for the ACC-SEC Challenge against Tennessee, make sure you stop by Johnny T-Shirt and get all the Carolina apparel that you could possibly want. It's great people, great customer service. They've got the jerseys, the T-shirts, the hats, 
It's getting colder. They have the cold gear. They could have everything you could possibly want as we get into the holiday season. And don't forget, Inside Carolina, premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Shot. Future of Carolina football. Where, where does Carolina go from here? I do think it's a complicated question. Um I think what we know as of now is obviously Max said he's coming back. Obviously, he has to say that when he gets asked by the media in week 10 of the year. He can't He can't say, you know, I'm retiring after this year or I got one more year in me because how that will affect recruiting and whatnot. But as what we know right now, he's coming back. I believe this upcoming week in Carolina football, we are going to see some changes whether that's from the head coach or the defensive coordinator, defensive line or receivers coach or, you know, who has special teams coordinator, whoever it is, we, I, we should and will see, see changes. Um, you know, I just think, I guess your question, I'm, and I'm going to get to your question, but you know, how many times have we heard um, I did not have the guys prepared, you know, this loss is on me. Um you know, players have a shelf life and, and, and so should coaches. You know, this is a production business. Um, and, and Coach Brown always says that. And, you know, if players are not producing, they are replaced. You know, it's on to the next guy, the next recruit. You know, the backup gets a shot. Um, and if you are openly admitting that you're not doing your job as a head coach, then then something should happen too. You know, like if, if um you know, we had all the ingredients for a special year. And um, I think at the end of the day, our culture won or lost, however you look at it. At the end of the day, the backbone of our program wasn't strong enough. And that's what led to the the catastrophic losses, you know, towards the end of the year. The four out of four out of five or four out of six games we lost that's happened year after year after year. And I think our true colors were shown. Um, You know, I've been very, um, I I guess what I should say is regardless of how much success you've had in your career, I think there's an expiration date to everybody. Um, Do I think that Max stepping down or potentially being fired is the right move? For the future of Carolina football going forward, I, I possibly think we need you know new direction at, at, at you know at the top of the the food chain. Um, I think it's a little bit more complicated than you know than that. Um, it look, I don't get paid enough to to say my what what I really think should happen. If I was the AD, I would I would be able to make a decision. But um, I, I just think we we've, we've seen. We've seen what will happen with Coach Brown as the head coach. And, you know, you are what you repeatedly do. And I don't think there's going to be drastic changes in terms of our production and our ability to win more games and win bigger games. Like, I think we are what we are right now as a program. And if our our administration and our athletic department has to figure out what they want, what they want to prioritize, because, you know, it's – we have a generational quarterback and we're winning eight games. So that's, that's, that's what I'm going to say. 
Yeah, and I, I think part of it when, when saying that it is a lot more complicated, um, you have to take into account that Carolina is going to be looking for a new chancellor. Uh, you have the board of trustees that it feels like they, they can't agree on anything. And um, it's one of the reasons why it seems like like uh, Kevin Guskowitz did leave Chapel Hill or is going to leave Chapel Hill. Um, yeah, but like like you said, for for me, I I don't remember which podcast it was where where I said that Mac Brown 2.0 was either reaching the end or was at the end for me. I think it might have been after the Georgia Tech game, and it was because you're always going to have results like this where you recruit a lot of guys on paper, um, but it seems like the coaching staff can't get the most out of them or um, you, you're just always left wanting more. And I think the, the, some of the, the choices that the coaches are, are making and, and putting the players in positions, you're, you're almost spotting teams points when, when you're coming in this unprepared and it's a, a consistent where the fan base is like, how did we lose to Virginia, a Virginia team? I watched the Virginia tech, Virginia game in my hotel room before I went to the NC State game, Virginia Tech destroyed them. And I've seen that Virginia team get destroyed time and time again this year. That team came into Chapel Hill with confidence in their game plan and beat Carolina. Uh, Georgia Tech, you know, I still can't believe Carolina lost to Georgia Tech, that Georgia Tech consistently has our number. Uh, Can't believe that Carolina – could come out that flat in in a game that meant this much um, for both teams. And this is just kind of who they are. And when you hear them talk and it it doesn't really seem like they have the answers. And I do think there is a a hesitation from Mac Brown to make staff changes. Um, I'm not, I'm not too confident that there there's that sense of urgency there or thinking that the the staff is the the reason why um some of some of the the problems for carolina have um transpired so it's yeah i I don't really know um where the program goes from here if i i i'm glad i'm not making the the choice um but but if i was I, yeah, I th- I think I would. Uh, I I just think you you a new coach is what this team needs in, in the sense of getting the the culture where Mac Brown got Carolina back on track, but now somebody else has to come in with with this new voice and and find a way to bring a team together and, and get the most out of your results. But um, yeah, it's tough. Transfer portal, Carolina is going to have a completely different roster if if that um, if that situation did come up and a new coach would have to be worried about keeping a roster intact or or bringing people in. You you saw what happened um, with somebody like Dion, where his his team is entirely coming from the transfer portal. Um, but the the only thing I would kind of push back on with the Carolina's roster from the time Mac Brown got here. I, I don't really think the roster is that much better with besides the quarterback position. Do, do you really see, do you think, is that something I, I might just have a blind spot for right now? Or, or do you see a, a significant increase in, in the overall talent level from the, the roster in 2018 to, to where Carolina is at now? I think on paper is what everyone sees is yes, two four seven sports had us higher rated in the top twenty five, and you know we technically signed more five stars and and four stars than we had in the in the prior years, but we we sure haven't gotten the production out of them, um, you know. And and Coach Brown's early years and you know nineteen two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty twenty one, you know our our best recruits were. Fedora players or our best players were Fedora recruits, you know, Javante, Mike, Diami, 
Daz. Um, Chaz, Daz. Um, you know, Coach Brown has obviously brought in a bunch of guys. You know, Jeremiah Gimmel was was a Fedora guy. Um, you know, Drake May obviously was his recruit, and and we've recruited well. But just the we haven't we haven't developed those guys, and I know that was the frustrating thing of everyone. You know, it's on inside Carolina. It's like, why can't we develop our four and five star guys like the Georgias of the world and the Bamas and the you know, you name Clemson's, you name it. And, you know, I, I fought it early on and, you know, kind of said that it just, maybe we, you know, maybe there's a multitude of reasons, but, you know, it's, it's shown year after year over the last, you know, three or four years since we've been getting, you know, high profile recruits. I don't think we're us and this, the recruiting services are, are both missing on guys. I think, you know, if, if all these other, uh, programs want the Miles Murphys of the world, the Javari Ritzies, the Des Evans, and we do too. And then, you know, if they get to our program and they, t- they just aren't good players. Like that's, that's not true. We, we, we failed in their development. Um, but yeah, I mean, l- like you said, um, going back to the, who, should Mac Brown be our coach next year or, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a very – you see it nowadays with all these buyouts and, and colleges and universities are so quick to fire these coaches. Obviously, Coach Brown has been here for five seasons now. But, um, you know, I think ultimately Coach Brown has to look himself in the mirror and figure out if he's the right man to lead this program right now. You know, kind of how Roy Williams was at a crossroads late in his career of – you know, his press conference was he figured out that he he was not the right guy to lead the lead the Tar Heels at that time. And Coach Brown has been the right guy at times in his career in the 90s when he had major success. And then, you know, when he came back in 2019, I do think he was the right guy for the job. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, he's got to look himself in the mirror and figure out if he is the right guy for this job. Um, because. You know, that's that's the biggest issue going forward. Um, so. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's as simple as saying, hey, let's let's go get a another defensive coordinator or let's swap out this position coach for for this. Uh, is that kind of where where you're at, too, with thinking? Yeah, that you can't just... I, I, I we, we've tried that already. You know, think of all the. First of all, think of all the ups and downs we've had in Max tenure, and then think of all the hirings and "quote unquote" firings he's had. Scott Boone, one year as a special teams coordinator. Our special teams have they gotten better? No. You know, Jay Bateman, defensive coordinator. Everyone wanted him fired. Has our defense gotten better? Javon Dewitt, who was a special teams coordinator for a year or two, like, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Phil Longo, you know, so like. Yes, we've had some ups and downs, and but at the end of the day, like I think our our team has pretty much seen the same success or lack of success, regardless of who's at OC, who's at DC, who's at, if Dre Wise coaching the corners or it's Jason Jones, whoever. Like I, I think it kind of stems from the head coach. So you know, we we've tried it by hiring and firing offense and defensive coordinators and position coaches and special teams, but at the end of the day, we we've, we've kind of gotten the same result. So um, I think our issue is, you know, we don't have this, the Saudis public investment fund at our disposal. Like money's an issue with, with, with coaching. Like, like I'm going to go back and say, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's up to Mac Brown and, and what he, what he truly wants to do. Um, because if, if he doesn't believe he's the right man for the job anymore, we're going to have to clean house and get a whole new staff. And um, you know, I, I do think it's deeper rooted than just um, production on the field this year. I think there's some behind the scenes things and um, you know, it, it, it is a major life change for, for the university to make a decision what to do with their, their football coach, you know, the chancellor of the school, the, the men's basketball coach and the, and the men's football or in the football coach are, that pretty much the three most important figures on UNC's campus. So um, this isn't, 
you know, a decision you can make overnight. I think, I think it's going to take a couple of days, but um, like I said, at the end of the day, it's up to coach Brown and, and he's got to do what's best for him and uh, what he thinks going forward. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why um, uh, I'm more um, bullish on, on North Carolina with the future under Mac Brown is the, the disconnect with the coaching staff where, before the season, Mac Brown said that this was the best coaching staff he's ever had, and the results are 500 in ACC play, um, sputtering to the finish, uh, a bowl game where it's a it's a it's going to be a who cares bowl game. Um, wouldn't expect to see a lot of Carolina's best players even playing in that bowl game, um, and, and it's you're now on year three of that same consistent trend of sputtering, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, playing in, in one of um, these games somewhere that, that don't really mean a whole lot to the program. Um, and, and it doesn't feel like initially it felt like the team was trending in the right direction. Now it feels like we're, we're going backwards. Like we were going up a hill, and now the car is is lost off its gas, and we're slowly rolling back up. A uh, few people, you know, Drake May specifically, is is trying to push the car back up, but uh, there's there's just only so much he could do. And that was another point I, I made. I I meant to say about this NC State game. I saw some people say like. Um, Drake may not playing like a, a top five pick or he's playing his way out of being a top NFL pick. You could put any quarterback in the country behind that offensive line on, on Saturday night against that NC state team that came out with that intensity and, and that pressure and those looks. And uh, there were, there was just no way they were going to look good or, or, or have more success than, than Drake did. And uh, I think Drake deserves a lot of credit for, for how much he battled in that game took a lot of shots i'm pretty sure he he's already banged up um injury wise before that game and, and just his, his ability to keep fighting and keep trying to put this north carolina team in good spots um i i do think he deserves a lot of credit for that but before we wrap up this episode a big shout out to our friends at congruity congruity is a north carolina based national coverage local presence company with personal support straight from the Tar Heel State. They're empowering small and mid-sized business owners with HR and payroll outsourcing, enabling you to grow your business while they take care of your greatest asset, your people. And they are doing it with top-of-the-line technology and services for every stage of your business's growth with a state-of-the-art online platform. Congruity is obsessed with customer service. They become part of your team. They do the heavy lifting, providing essential admin support with a single point of contact and support available on demand with services that are tailor-made, transforming your organization. Congruity has helped hundreds of businesses improve and enhance their day-to-day -day lives, level up your HR capabilities, save money, unlock game-changing growth. Visit congruityhr.com backslash to learn more about Congruity. Fill out a quick form to be connected to their consultants, and they'll give Inside Carolina listeners and viewers a payroll and HR assessment for free. That's congruityhr.com backslash Tar Heels. Shot. We're giving out our picks. Your your record would be a lot better the past two weeks if you would stop picking Carolina. You're, you're five and five overall. You've lost two games with Carolina the past two weeks. Uh, without those two games, without those two bonus picks, you'd be tied with me at five and three. I had Michigan minus four. Uh, big field goal. For, for Michigan at, at the end of that game to, to cover that spread. Uh, you had Clemson minus seven. Clemson covered pretty handily a, against South Carolina. And then UNC loses as a two-point favorite at NC State. Last pick of, of the conference championship. We're in conference championship week. You like the board this week? Where, where are you going? Well, I think all that really – it really shows is when I bet with my with my brain, I'm usually right. When I bet with my heart, I get beat. So luckily my heart's not in it this week. It's just my head. Uh, I'm going to go with the Oregon Ducks minus nine and a half over Washington. If I could pick 
someone to if I could pick Max Brown's successor, it would be Dan Lanning. Whenever Mac Brown's time is up, I would pick Dan Lanning. It, okay, say I couldn't pick Kirby Smart or Nick Saban. I would pick Dan Lanning because he is one of the most impressive coaches. I think he's the full package. He's got his team rolling. Bo Nix is is playing some good really football, good, yeah. but they talk with their pads. They don't talk with their with their beaks because they're ducks. Get it? That was pretty funny. But I'm going, I'm going Oregon Ducks minus nine and a half. I am going to the SEC championship. I'm going to take the dogs. Give me the dogs, man. I'm taking Georgia minus five. Uh, Alabama, I, I think they're a bit up and down as seen by needing a, a fourth and 31 conversion to, to beat Auburn at um, Jordan Air Stadium. I just trust this Georgia team a whole lot more, especially with Brock Bowers back um, in Atlanta. It's those Georgia fans have had SEC championship tickets for since they became available where, where a team like Alabama might've not had the, the same level of confidence when, when they lost to Texas at the beginning of the year. So I think it's going to be almost, almost like a home game for, for Georgia. And I think they, they need this game to, to make it to their, uh, another playoff appearance and, and try to win their third straight national championship. So I will take the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs minus five. Those are our picks of the week presented by congruity Shopman. Appreciate the time as always, and uh, appreciate everybody watching and listening. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.